Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native, and the father of the Effortless English system that trains you to speak English fluently, speak English powerfully, speak English confidently, think in English, speak English effortlessly when you join and commit to my VIP program. Commit to my VIP program at Effortless EffortlessEnglishClub.com EffortlessEnglishClub.com Commit today at EffortlessEnglishClub.com The terrible, terrible, terrible problems, the terrible, I would say evil really, of fake schools. You know it, I know it, we all know it. You know, the tests, the grades, the bullying, bullying, the bills, the stress, the frustration, the lies, the trivia, the boredom, the complete failure of the fake schools and the fake school system around the world. It's the same system. It's the same basic system everywhere in the world. In fact, automatically we should ask, you know, why? Why? Why does India and America and Thailand and Japan and all through Europe and through the Middle East, all over the world, following basically the same school system? Yes, you have some differences, but the basic principles, strategies, and methods are the same everywhere in the world. Isn't that strange? The same factory mentality, right? Put everybody the same age, in the same class, sit in rows and desks, you know, memorize textbooks, all this stuff. Automatically, you know, this is, again, one of the great, terrible, horrible evils of globalism, this globalist education. It sucks. You know it sucks. I know it sucks. It sucks in America. It sucks in Europe. It sucks in Asia, through the Middle East, in Africa. It sucks everywhere. South America, North America, whatever, you know. Everywhere in the world, it's, it's terrible, I mean, first, that's not, you know, it's interesting that the kind of globalists and the Marxists, they always talk about diversity, diversity. It's a big lie. They don't want diversity. Diversity means, it would mean for education, for example, that each nation, each people would have their own kind of education that would best serve, best help their own people. So you would have a different flavor, a different kind of education system, for example, in India, and then another kind in Japan, and then another kind in, you know, North America, South America, all these different countries. There might, again, be some similarities, but there would be much more diversity, much more choice in education, even in the same country, in just one nation real diversity for education, it would mean you would have a huge choice. So many different kinds of education. Okay, you might have the factory schools like now. That might be one choice. It's a bad choice, but you know, whatever. And then you might have different kinds of private schools. But that would be very, very different though. That would have much more variety, much more real diversity, right? Truly different strategies and methods and ways of learning. The kinds of education that John Taylor Gatto talked about in his book. 
You'd have apprenticeship, master and apprentice systems. You'd have all kinds of different systems, not the same at all. Nothing like the factory schools. And then, of course, you would have the absolute 100% protected right for homeschooling so that every family could find their own best method of education for themselves. And in fact, even inside a family, you could have different kinds of education, somewhat different strategies and systems for each child, as I mentioned before. Children, individual children are different. And different methods, different styles, different ways of educating are better for some kids and not as good for others. So even inside of a family that's homeschooling, you could have a great diversity, right? Variety of education approaches, methods, strategies. Now that's real diversity. But that's not what globalism or Marxism or any of these other isms want. They want exactly the opposite of that. Everybody has to do the same. They ha- everyone has to go to the same schools using the exact same methods. And that's why the international fake schools are terrible. And that's why I know I'm talking to you. I don't know if you're in Saudi Arabia or in uh, Brazil or in the United States or in Japan or in Europe. It doesn't matter because I know that your country uses basically the same system of education and it's not good. So we all know the problem. It doesn't matter where we live. But let's talk today more about the solution or a solution, right? Because I believe that there are a great many ways to do this, to have true education. Lots of ways to do it in a beautiful, wonderful way that is more individual, that fits a specific nation and its culture, that fits a specific family that fits even specific children. So let's talk about just some very big general ideas about how to create true education. Now this, you could do this within private schools. You could do this within community schools. You could do this in religious schools. Or you could best of all do this as part of your own homeschooling. True education. What is true education, first of all? True education. What is it? What is the purpose of true education? You know, fake schools, they have all kinds of different goals. I think the true, if you really look at it, the true purpose of fake schools is obedience. To make everybody the same, make everybody follow the rules, good slaves, good workers. On the other hand, the purpose, the true purpose, the deep purpose of true education, real education, is simply truth. Truth. To find and teach the truth. And that means part of that is also, you know, how to find the truth, how to look for the truth. Because, of course, this is something we do for our whole lives, searching for truth. So, truth and truth seeking. Seeking means to look for. That's how I would say it. That's what true education ultimately, right? The, 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 the biggest and the most important goal is to teach truth and truth seeking. Truth and truth seeking. starting with children and then, of course, continuing even with adults because true education is a lifetime education. It doesn't stop at age 18. It doesn't stop at age 22. It doesn't stop at age 28 or 16 or any number. It continues for your whole life. That's true education. So that's another characteristic of real true education is that it is lifelong so how would, let's look at this more. How would this work? True education. Well, I just talked about in a recent podcast the three-part system of truth. You know, how do we know truth? Important question. And I mentioned the three parts. Ancient writings, the very, very old writings. Masters, masters, gurus, 
teachers, that kind of thing, right? Great masters, great teachers. And then number three, direct knowing, of course, is very important. Direct knowing. And then, of course, I said that for direct knowing, there are three ways that we directly as individuals directly learn or know something as truth. And number one is the big word, the big vocabulary word is empirical. Empirical, but what does that mean? It means direct experience. And specifically, it means direct experience with your senses. It means you see it, you hear it, you touch it, you, know, you feel it, you taste it, whatever, right? Direct experience, observation, all of that. That's the first way of knowing something directly. The second is logic logic and reason logic and reason basically this is knowledge but especially reasonable and logical knowledge often comes from reading and studying right mathematics logic reading and then the third way of directly knowing is meditation meditation and this is again it's a kind of direct experience but it is internal And it's a way of purifying your mind and your consciousness. So you're connecting to direct and highest levels of consciousness. These are the three ways of directly knowing. So how would we make an education system that is truthful, that uses, follows these elements of truth, of finding truth? Let's talk about an example of true education then compared to what we get in school. So part one, we would need to train students and then continue as adults with empirical learning, right? So again, this is learning from experience. Now this, school systems do not do. This is I, I, one of the huge weaknesses of schools, maybe the biggest, it's many people criticize this remember when we did our book our book club dumbing us down John Taylor Gatto this was one of his huge strong and very important criticisms of the school systems they don't there's nothing with about direct learning direct observation experience there's no experiential learning it's all just sitting on your butt listening to somebody talk So they're completely missing, or almost completely missing, this very, very, very important way of knowing and finding truth. I mean, without this, it's very difficult to learn any kind of truth or to develop any kind of useful skills in life. So in this category of learning, you know, empirical, direct, experience, experiential is an adjective, this would include things for like, number one, just exploring, especially young, young children need this, to just explore, just to go out and look and touch and play with things in the natural world. Yeah, I talked, I've talked about my nephew and my nieces before, you know, how they just go out and they'll just go out and they just explore the world. They'll go to a park and they watch the insects, you know, they'll watch the ants They'll watch the bugs. They'll look at the plants. They're just exploring and playing around. Well, that is empirical knowledge. That is an empirical way of learning, right? What are they doing? They are observing with their eyes, or maybe they're listening also, and they're picking up and touching, right? They are directly experiencing nature. So you can do this in all areas of life, even something like art. Directly play with the paints, play with pencils right kids do this naturally little kids right they of course they just start off they're just coloring they're not doing anything <laughs> super artistic but that is a very important part of learning of real learning direct experience and of course as as we get older it can become more complicated and more advanced so at older ages maybe again 
the students go out to observe, to look at nature, but now maybe a little more in a more organized way. Maybe they're using microscopes. Maybe they're using telescopes. Maybe they're taking notes. Maybe they're taking pictures. But again, directly observing, directly experiencing is a very important part of this. Another important part of this is to learn under a master. So this brings in that important part of finding truth, knowing truth, right? Masters, gurus, great masters. Now, this was used to be, used to be a very, very important part of education, the master-apprentice system. An apprentice is a, right, is a learner. They're learning something. And you had this in all different areas of life. So you had this in the arts, right? The master-apprentice system. Michelangelo, did he go to art school at a university? No, he studied under a master. And, you know, he worked for the master and he did jobs for the master. In the beginning, probably they were not fun jobs, <laughs> okay, right? Probably had to do, you know, cl help clean and do all that kind of stuff. And then he started to help with the master's art projects and then gradually learn more and more. And while, he was learning while doing though. That's the important part of this master apprentice system, learning by doing. So he was learning in two ways from the master. Number one, a lot is learned just by watching the master, just by being around the master and watching how the master works. In this way, the apprentice, the student, learns so much just by watching and listening. No, not lecturing in a classroom, but watching the master work in the real world. That's a great way to learn. Not only art, but anything. Science, um, technical skills, anything and everything, really. So this would be, a, again, an important part of real and true education would be having this master-apprentice system. And now, again, with younger kids, it might just be very relaxed and they would have a lot of uh, time just to be around some masters and it's be more just exploring. But as they got older and as each child started to decide what they wanted to focus on, well, then they would, it would become more serious and more committed So this master-apprentice system, very, very important, again. And this is the way many great skills are learned. Now, of course, the other way the student learns from the master is direct teaching. So the master, number one, they just, they model, right? They just show. The student just watches them and they learn a lot. But then, of course, the other thing is that gradually the master will give jobs to the apprentice. And yeah, probably in the beginning, the apprentice does a bad job. And then what happens? Well, then the master says, okay, here he starts to say, you, this is a mistake you made. Do it this way. And the master starts to teach. But not just teaching like from a book, memorizing facts, but no, teaching real skills by doing real things, real projects in the real world. It's experiential learning, learning from experience with the master guiding and teaching as they do things in the real world. Very, very, very different from how the modern fake schools work, right? Completely different. And another way of this uh, empirical or experiential way of learning is for students to create projects, to create projects, to have a project. What does that mean? It means they have to create something you give them an assignment, a goal. Do this. Create this, right? It's, it's Again, it's direct experience. They have to do, not just study. They have to do. And usually, they, they don't know how to do it. They can't do it in the beginning. So, what happens? Well, then they have to learn how. So, what do they do? They have to research. They have to ask questions. They have to go to a master to get advice. They have to experiment and try different things, and sometimes they fail. And in this way, they learn by, again, doing. And there are many different ways to do projects. It might be a physical project. They have to make something. So, if we're, look, let's say, 
you're talking about something in the practical world and you say, okay, you have to make a chair. Make a chair, a wooden chair. How do I do that? Ah, well, that's what we have to learn, right? And then they have to start learning how to work with wood, how to find the wood, which what kind of wood is the best, how, what's a good design for a chair, how do I cut it, you know, all that stuff, right? To make the chair, there's a lot of things that must be learned, and there are many different ways they have to get that information. They might try to make a chair the first time, and it breaks, then they got to try again, and they will learn so much about woodworking, because of this project, make a chair. Now, you can also do this. You can have projects that are not so that are not physical. You, a project could be make a presentation, make a sales presentation for your product. Ah, so now what do they have to learn? Now they have to learn how to sell. They've got to learn persuasion. They've got to learn public speaking. How, to, how do you make a strong, powerful presentation? How do you sell to somebody so that they want to buy? Again, they've got to go and ask questions. They've got to find masters. They've got to maybe find some books and read those. They have to try and try and try lots of different techniques and maybe fail, right? Maybe they try the first presentation and you say, eh, not good. Let's keep trying. And so they got to keep learning and learning, experimenting by doing until they finally make a great presentation. You can do this with sciences. You can do this with any subject. doesn't matter, right? But the projects, the great thing about projects is that, again, by doing, it forces this kind of experiential learning, direct learning with experience. So that's another part of it. So combining all those, you get this kind of true empirical education, right? Education from experience. Education from observation and experience. Very, very important part that is mostly missing in our school systems, which is why, this is why we have people, so many, millions and millions, billions actually, graduating from school and they don't know how to do anything. They can't do anything useful. 16 years of school and they can't do anything useful. No useful skills, maybe basic reading and writing and math. But other than that, useless. I know, I was one of them. <laughs> okay, I get it. <laughs> but it's, what us? It, how horrible is that when you think about it? What a huge, gigantic, horrible waste of time. To go to school 16 years or more and then you graduate and you can you really can't do anything useful at all if you, when you get a job the company has to teach you everything because you really have no useful skills or almost none now i've had some cousins recently graduated younger much younger than me this exact problem went to school got a bachelor's degree all through you know elementary school middle school high school university come out can't get a job doing anything. Why? Because don't know how to do anything useful. No experiential learning. No skills in the, for the real world. What a joke. You know this just from English. You know, you take English classes. Many take English classes starting, well, some starting in elementary school. Many starting in middle school. So you get three years in middle school, four years in high school, you got seven years, you go to university, a few more, eight years, nine years, ten years of English, and you can't speak fluently. In fact, you can't even speak badly. <laughs> you cannot have like just regular, average, normal, simple, everyday conversations with the native speaker. I mean, what a joke. Think about that. All those eight, eight years, nine years, ten years, and still can't even do this basic, basic thing? Completely useless. You've got no experiential ability, no real-life ability at all. Or almost none. Again, what this, I mean, it's a joke, and it's not just English. This is a giant hole, a giant missing piece of education in our world right now. We've got to fix it. We must fix it. Okay, so that's one. That's part one of direct knowing. Experience, 
observation. We need that in our education. Absolutely, we have to do that if we want to teach real education, you know, truth and truth-seeking. The second one is logic and reason, right? This is basically knowledge, but especially not just knowledge, not just facts. This is, again, a big problem in schools, that they don't understand this second part. It's too limited. Schools teach a lot of facts, meaning in many cases, trivia. Trivia means facts that are not important, meaningless facts. So, is it important, for example, to know the exact date that the Declaration of Independence was signed in the United States? Not really. I mean, I know it. It's kind of important culturally, maybe, you know, July 4th, 1776, because we, we kind of celebrate that as the beginning of our country. But when you really think about it, in terms of life, like no, understanding truth, seeking truth, finding truth, all these big questions of life, also just having a good nation, a strong nation, a great civilization, memorizing that exact date is a very small thing, <laughs> okay? So just these memorizing of little small facts, which is very common, right? We, we, we know, we all do this. You have a test coming up. What do you do? It's called cramming, right? C-R-A-M to cram. Cramming, it means you just memorize very, it's short-term memory. You memorize a lot of stuff very quickly in a short time. You take the test. Hopefully, you get a good grade. And then you forget it because you didn't learn it deeply at all. You're just cramming. That, that's what I did in school. I'm sure it's what most students do. And that's how you get through school because, because they try to make you memorize too many things. This is, again, most of modern fake schools is focused, their system is focused on memorizing and memorizing a lot of stuff that's not that important. And how do we know it's not important? It's not important, well, you know, because you forget it all. You forget 80% of it. 90% of it's gone in a couple of weeks. So I guess it wasn't very important. So why waste all that time and all that energy and all that effort memorizing it if you're just going to forget it a month later? What's the point? Yeah, some things we do need to memorize, of course, right? So we have the three R's. This is kind of slang in English. They're not, it's reading, writing, and arithmetic is what people say. It's kind of an old way of saying it. But basically, we need reading, absolutely. So you got to, that's something that does need to be memorized. In English, you have to know the sounds of the letters and how do they combine. So you can read. You've got to learn how to read. And some of that is memorization. Yes, it has its place. That is part of this second part of knowledge, right? Knowledge. We had experience, lear experiential learning. Now we have knowledge is our second one. And that is definitely part of true education. We do need some memorizing, reading. Arithmetic, meaning math. You know, the basics of math, again. 2 plus 2 equals 4. You just have to memorize that. Or 2 times 2 equals 4, or 2 times 3 is 6, right? We all, when we were young, we had to memorize our multiplication tables, right? Again, that's, that is part of it. We have to learn those basic math, probably up at least to basic algebra. After al basic algebra and ba maybe basic geometry too, after that, many people don't need anything more than that. Some do, who want to continue on into science, different sciences and different um, engineering and things like that. Of course, they do need to keep going, but many don't. People who want to be psychologists, for example, don't really need calculus. It's just not necessary. They need other things. But as a core, we do all need a basic level of math just to, func just to survive in our modern world, right? Just to be understand how money works and business and all these things that we all need in life. So yes, mathematics. So that's the arithmetic part. And then I call it rhetoric. Some people just say writing, but I say writing and rhetoric. We need to learn how to write decently well, communicate in writing. And part of that, I believe, is also speaking, meaning how to be, you know, to be good public speakers, for example. You don't have to be great. Everybody does not need to be a super great public speaker. 
like Martin Luther King or something. No, but just a just a basic level of skill. I think is important for everybody in reading and writing. So those basic skills, yes, we need those. And you know, we all do. We learn at least most of those in school. School does not teach public speaking, but the schools do an okay job of teaching basic reading, basic math, and basic writing. Not great job, but they do okay in that part. But unfortunately, that's where they stop, and that's not good, because then after that, what do they do? They make you memorize a lot of stuff, and much of it does not help you very much. It's not truth. It's not truth-seeking. Another thing that we absolutely must learn is logic, the basics of logic. Just the basics. Again, you don't have to study, you know, super complicated logic or logic systems or logic rules, but the very basics of logic and reasoning. Schools do a terrible job of teaching this. Then in addition to that, what what kind of knowledge should we be teaching? What kind of knowledge should be we be learning or focusing most on again this is knowledge this is not direct experience this is mostly from reading so what mostly should we be reading or teaching students to read well we go back again to our system of truth ancient books and the books of masters that's where we should be focusing most of our reading and education Reading those ancient books, those ancient stories. So this means, of course, number one, the the religious and spiritual books. And this is where, again, every country then would be a little different, right? So in Saudi Arabia, of course, they should read the Quran. And in India, the Mahabharata, and the Ramayana, absolutely. The Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads. Probably, actually, the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita throughout all of Asia. And then in certain Buddhist countries, the Dhammapada, Pali Sutras, and others. And of course, in the Christian West, the Bible for sure. And then, along with that, ancient books of reading, the students should be reading what? Those epic, great, ancient stories, right? So again, in the West, all through Europe, the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Aeneid, absolutely, every student in Europe should read those. And starting at a young age, right? So this means at a young age, maybe they learn an easy version of these, not the original, which are a little too difficult, but very easy versions. And then maybe as they get older, they little more difficult versions. And then finally, as they get older, they read the original versions translated to their language. And maybe in the past, like in university level, even in high school level in the past, students would read the originals in Greek or in Latin. Maybe that's a little too much for our modern students now. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) But it used to be part of our education tradition. And again, each country, each nation, each region of the world, each culture, would choose their own ancient books in this way. So, of course, they would choose the more religious and spiritual ones, but also the more cultural ones. So, again, you know... Someone in in Iran would choose the the ancient, you know, Persian epics. And in Europe, like I said, the Iliad, the Odyssey, there's many, the Songs of Roland. Um, And in the East, you've got the Ramayana again, the Mahabharata, and the the Three Kingdoms. Uh, In China, there's many, right? So again, this is, again, it allows true diversity. But... The basic idea, the basic principle is focus students on reading those ancient, ancient books, those stories they must. This this helps to create a culture. This is where your whole culture has an understanding of these same basic books and stories and wisdom and knowledge. It's part of this system of truth, of knowing truth and seeking truth. So important. And then finally, in our category of knowledge, reading the masters, reading the great masters in different areas of 
life of knowledge. So this would be, again, reading the great masters of you know, philosophy and literature. Again, it's fine for it to be international, no problem. If your own family, you could choose from many different countries and cultures. But, you know, for a system, uh, but in general, for at least for schools and larger uh, organizations ed- for education, they probably would focus more on your, your own culture, your own nation, the great masters. You know, again, so, you know, for example, in Europe, certainly in Italy, you probably would have the students reading Dante, right? A great a great master of literature. Italian literature, specifically. And of course, there are many, many, many other examples. But in general, great masters. But this is also even true for practical areas, so that they would read or study great masters. In art, what would they do? Study the great masters. Not some guy who's, you know, from a... 50 years ago who's just splashing paint on a wall right now the great masters we all know who they are right Michelangelo Michelangelo Leonardo da Vinci etc 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 in science you'd study again the great masters of science Newton (laughs) and the like and here's the thing though read directly from them so instead of just studying about Newton, read what Newton wrote, or at least maybe maybe read s- easier, simpler versions, more modern translations of what Newton wrote. Reading directly what these men and women wrote themselves. So I've mentioned before, instead of just studying about Julius Caesar, it's fine to study about Julius Caesar and read about him, but... But absolutely, you must read what he himself wrote. He wrote a book. Read it. The same, you know, the, instead of just reading about the Roman emperors, well, one of them at least wrote a really fantastic book called Meditations, Marcus Aurelius. Read it directly. Write your reading from uh, an emperor 2,000 years ago, well, a little less maybe, what he himself wrote that's powerful, right? The great masters. Read as much from them directly as possible. And then as part of that, a much smaller part, you, you could have in this knowledge area, reading about or reading or reading about or studying more recent masters in different areas, right? So this is true for science, it's true for math, it's true, whatever. And that gives us our knowledge. Now, that would give a a student such a great foundation of knowledge, real knowledge, based on reason, based on logic, based on the ancient wisdom of his own culture, of her own culture, and others as well. It would be a deep level of knowledge, not this shallow kind of garbage that is taught in schools now. Okay, then finally third, our third way of directly knowing is meditation. And a great true education system would include meditation. You would have to include this, you have to include all three. All three, all three ways of knowing truth, of truth-seeking. Meditation. What is meditation exactly? You know, uh, you'll see a lot of, you know, in, in news articles, fake media, on the internet, even some books, meditation is just, is, is described as just, you know, a way of relieving your stress, right? If, you know, you sit and you meditate, ah, oh, your stress goes down. It has benefits like that direct benefit like less stress less worry and all that is true but that's not really the the focus of meditation that's not the the deeper purpose of meditation it's just a little side benefit (laughs) it's a little small benefit it's not the purpose what is meditation think of it this way one way to think of meditation is logic reason knowledge I would call additive learning Additive means you're adding, right? You're adding learning. You're adding skills. You're adding understanding. You're adding knowledge, 
facts, all these things, information. Meditation is subtractive. You're taking away. The Tao Te Ching has a great quote about this, that in pursuit of the Tao, every day something is taken away. What are you, but what are you subtracting ex exactly? What does this mean to subtract? How, do you, how can you learn by subtracting, taking away? What are you subtracting? You're subtracting confusion. You're subtracting, taking away, ignorance. You're subtracting fear. You're subtracting addiction and craving. In other words, you are purifying. It's a method of purification. That's one thing that meditation is. You're purifying your mind. Your mind becomes more clear, more open. And when your mind gets purified of these poisons, you know, mental poisons, emotional poisons, as your mind gets purified and becomes clear and calm, your intelligence increases, your creativity increases, and you are open to a whole new way of learning and other sources of knowledge that are very, very, very powerful. Your mind and your body become very, very, very calm and clear and aware and awake. Your mind and your heart both. And when you reach that, when that happens, then you are open to what? You're open to God. That's the highest level. And traditionally, that's what meditation was really about, was knowing God connecting with God. That was the highest. If you know, read read all the ancient sutras and texts about meditation, and that is the true purpose. At a little bit lower level, intuition. You're open to intuition. I've talked about before, you know, what is this what is intuition? It's kind of like your internal wisdom, right? It's it's something deep inside of you, a deep inner way of knowing. But when you're constantly thinking, when you're constantly listening to noise and reading and watching TV and the noise, 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 you can't hear that inside you. You can't hear that wisdom inside you. It's too noisy. But when you calm and quiet your mind through meditation, eventually you'll find ideas understanding just popping into your brain. It seems like magic. Like, where's it coming from? Well, it's coming from deep, deep, deep inside of you. It's your intuition. It's also your wisdom is another way we could say it. Wisdom. And then at even a little bit lower level, more a little more basic level, when you meditate, you become more creative. Because again, by quieting your mind and just letting it, letting go of all these things, you'll find that all these creative ideas will start to come into your mind, especially after you meditate. When you're, you'll sit very calmly, your mind will get quieter and quieter, calmer and more clear. And then when you finish, suddenly, sometimes, you'll find you get, suddenly get these great new ideas. It's, it's a great method of creativity. So this is, again, another way of finding and knowing truth at different levels. So a true education system should include instruction in meditation. Or if you're an adult, just learn it yourself. There are lots of books about meditation. There are different methods and systems of meditation. So as an adult, of course, you can learn those independently for children. Teach them, you know, find one that's really, really simple for children and teach it to them. And then, of course, again, this would be a thing. All of these areas, the empirical, the experiential way of learning, logic, reason, and knowledge, that way of learning, and then meditation. So all three of these, of course, start very, very, very simply with small children. And then as with older children, of course, a little bit more advanced. And then when you get to adolescents and teenagers, of course, becoming quite advanced. And then don't stop. Because as an adult, we keep going. You know, these are all lifetime ways of learning. So you keep going. Of course, you become fully independent as a learner when you become an adult. So now 
you are the complete master of this, but you continue. Continue learning in these three ways as an adult. So continue getting life experience, different life experiences by watching, you know, observing, and by doing. And maybe you can find a good coach or a good guru or a good teacher. If you want to learn something specific, find a master in that area. So in all these ways, you continue with experiential learning, direct experience. Very, very, very important as an adult, especially in this world now because we didn't get it in school. So as you have to do it as an adult. Also, as an adult, you would continue with knowledge and reason. You'd continue in this part of your learning as well. So read those ancient books. The epics and the spiritual ones. And read the books of those masters in different areas of life. Try to find, when you can, the direct writings, the direct teachings of those masters. Not what someone says now, but what did they actually say. It's better to read Aristotle than to read someone telling you about Aristotle. Because maybe, maybe their idea of Aristotle is wrong. Well, go and read directly. Or Seneca, I think it was Carol said she's reading Seneca about on the, uh, he wrote about on the shortness of life, uh, which is a nice book. It's pretty short. That's a good one to read. There's so many, so many in all different areas. If you have a specific interest, you know, read the masters and the, 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 the great books in that area that you're interested in. But you got to, again, continue this for your whole life. And then finally, meditation. I highly recommend that you include this way of knowing also. If you're not doing any kind of meditation now, I encourage you to learn and start to practice. It can be a challenge in the beginning. <laughs> you know, sometimes I struggle with it sometimes too. It's, we, we live in a world now that's full of so much noise, so much distraction, that it is indeed very difficult for most people to meditate. And that's why our minds, our minds are so noisy now because our environments are so noisy. So to sit and quiet the mind is quite a challenge, but it's important. So do it. There are many different ways of meditating. Um, some are, I would say, a little easier than others. In other words, some are easier to do if your mind is really noisy. Um, so there's something called mantra meditation. That's where you say a sound and you just repeat the sound again and again and again and you focus your mind completely on that sound. And this will help your mind become very clear and calm. There's breath meditation I've mentioned before, which uh, probably the most simple because you always have it. You can do it anywhere. And you just focus on your breathing. But you have to put but total concentration on your breathing and nothing else. That's the trick. That's the challenge. Uh, there's something called Vipassana meditation, which has different versions. But uh, the, the one I know is where you're focusing on your, the sensations, the feelings, the physical feelings inside your body. And again, you have to use total concentration on just that. And there are some other ways of meditating as well. Choose one that sounds good to you and just practice it every day. You might start with five minutes a day and then try to increase it. And maybe you can increase it doing it two times a day, three times a day for 30 minutes or something like that. But this is also something you would continue your whole life. So in the very, very big, 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 big general way, this is what I believe to be a true system of education. A true system of education. It includes experience, it includes knowledge, and it includes meditation. To make it very simple, using just one word for each, <laughs> the three parts of true education, experience, knowledge, deep knowledge, and meditation. Now, how do you specifically do it? Well, this is the great thing about true education, as I said before, it's true diversity. It's real diversity, meaning it's flexible enough to fit any country, any culture, any religion, 
any family and indeed any individual. You can customize this very easily, right? Depending on your interests or depending on the child's interests. Depending on your or your child's nation and culture and family. You can easily adapt as long as you have these three. Experience, right? Direct experience, learning through experience. Knowledge, especially deep knowledge. So, of course, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also logic, ancient books, and the masters, or the, the books of masters. And then number three, meditation. What any, whatever, again, you can choose. There are many different systems of meditation. And you can find one that, again, find one that fits you individually, find one that fits your family, find one that fits your religion, find one that fits your culture and your nation. Now, of course, I believe that the very best way to do this is with homeschooling because homeschooling is the most free. It's the most free. Of course, I'm mostly talking about children now. But, you know, the, what's, what's homeschooling is also for adults. It's just called independent education, right? It's what you do with English right now. <laughs> You're homeschooling in English. You're an adult, so it seems weird to say the word school, homeschooling, but what you're doing is home education with English, right? You're listening to me right now. You're improving your English. Hopefully, you're using the Effortless English system. Maybe you join my VIP program. You're doing home education in English as an adult. Because remember, again, this never ends. Fantastic. That's great. Well, when we talk about kids, we usually use the word homeschooling. Just... It's just because that's the popular word. I, I, I think home education is a better word, but we'll, I'll use homeschooling be, just because it's the common word. It's common. That's how we say it. So for kids, homeschooling, why I, lo why I love it so much is it's so flexible. If you send your child to a school, even a great school, like a school that follows this system I just said, right? An amazing school. They follow this exact system I just talked about. It's wonderful. That's great. I mean, that's much better much, much better than the fake schools we have, right? That, so that's, that's still a good choice. If for some reason you can't do homeschooling, if for some reason you know, you're, you, it's just not possible for you, then that would be the second best option, would be to find a great school that used this system of truth, this system of true education, something like this. That would be fine. It would be really, really a good, still a good choice. But homeschooling's better still, I believe, because it's more flexible, right? Because what if your child, for some reason, your child does not fit the school, right? Maybe your child just is very active, for example. This is common. Physically active, especially boys, but girls too. Maybe your child has just got a huge amount of energy. All kids have energy, but your child is like, you know, five times more than usual and they they just they need to run and run and jump and use a lot of that physical energy every day they are just super super physically active well there's nothing wrong with that that's totally fine in fact it's a good sign it's just a sign of health but that kind of energy can cause problems in schools schools generally don't handle that very well why because schools they prefer most schools to have the kids sitting down a lot of times indoors and so those kids that are just super energetic often have a lot of trouble they get in trouble in schools they don't like it they get bored they get it, the the teachers get angry at them all this kind of stuff well if you're homeschooling you know your own child you know what they're like so what are you going to do well you just design your homeschooling program to fit your child's nature so if i had a child like that for example i'm just thinking of ideas but one thing you could do is you would just do short lessons all day long with lots of long breaks outdoors running around so you might do maybe just 30 minutes on some topic at home and then oh, go out, run, 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 run them like crazy. You know, make do physical games, uh, do races, make, make them do push-ups and pull-ups, teach them, you know, healthy exercise, all that stuff. They'll love it. Get, try to get them tired a little bit. Then come back indoors, 
it's a rest time. Maybe have a little snack or something. And again, do another lesson, 30 minutes to an hour. That's all. When they start getting uh, too crazy, time to jump and run again. And you just keep alternating like that. Your child then is still going to learn everything they need to learn, but it fits them. And of course, there, there are kids who are on the opposite side. There are kids who are just naturally very, very calm and very focused. I have a nephew like this in America. This little guy, he can, it's amazing. At a very young age, he can focus for so long. Just He can do one thing, like building something, right, with blocks. He can just sit there for hours doing it, totally focused. In fact, he gets quite angry if you try to break his concentration. Well, that's fantastic. Good. Good for him. So for him, it would be a, you, you, being flexible, homeschooling him. You would not want to interrupt him so much, right? You'd want to give him one thing to learn or do, or one project, and then just stay with it for a long time. Go deep. Great. And then maybe you might even just focus on only one thing each day. And if you want to teach something else, then do it the next day. And you're going to focus just on that. And that would fit him better. So yeah, this is, what, this is why homeschooling is so wonderful. Because homeschooling is for the child or for the student. It's not for the bureaucracy. It's not for the government. It's not for the teacher. You know, education is for the student. It's not for the teacher. The teacher should be serving, right? It's a service the teacher is there for the student, to serve the student, to help the student, not the other way around. This is one of the things I hate about our schools so much, the fake schools, is these, the teachers and the, the administrators, they have an attitude, their attitude, their basic attitude is that you know, the students have to please them, the students are there to serve them, that it's the teacher's needs. It's the school's needs that are important. That's exactly backwards. The teacher already knows, right? If you're teaching how to read, well, you should know how to read already. So it's not your need. It's this child that needs help reading. So we have to figure out what's best for the child. Well, and it's different because children are different. So if you just try to force the same exact schedule, the same exact system, the same exact way on every child, many of them are going to suffer and many of them are going to fail completely. But this is, so this is the opposite though. This is organic. This is natural where you can adapt it. And with homeschooling, you have the most flexibility because you can adapt it, you can change it for each individual child, which is fantastic, is really wonderful. And of course, it's wonderful too, because it's a parent is doing the teaching and parents know their children best of all, of course. Nobody knows your child better than you. So it's the most natural, it's the deepest, it's the most loving, it's the most caring, it's the most powerful, it's the most effective way of true education by far. Absolutely. And then second best would be just an amazing small little school that followed these principles I just talked about today. That would be still pretty good. And especially, you know, for families that don't, for some reason, maybe there's just one parent or they both have to work or there's some reason they can't do home education, then that would be the second best option. It could still be good if the people running the school were really, truly, deeply wonderful and caring and they really, really believed in this true, true, true education. There are a few of those out there. They're, they're private schools, but you can find them sometimes. I encourage you to create your own education, your own true education system for life, for life. First of all, create it for yourself. Even if you have children, start with yourself first because then you can see that it really works. Then you can understand these ideas. And then you can use them with your own children. I'd say first, create it for yourself as an adult, a lifelong system. So again, you need experience, right? Some Ways of learning th from experience, direct experience. Number two, learning direct knowledge, especially that old ancient knowledge, knowledge of the masters. And number three, meditation. 
create your own system, do it every day. After you enjoy the benefits of that for a while, then if you have children, do it for your children too. And that is how we fight the fake schools. That is how we create this revolution, really, of true education. A revolution that is really diverse, not fake globalism diverse, that is actually the same for everyone. No, the opposite of that. It is based on truth and deep principles that are true, and at the same time, very flexible, very diverse, very unique. That's the true education revolution. And thanks for joining it. You can also join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com to speak fluently, speak powerfully, speak confidently, think in English, speak effortlessly when you commit, commit, commit to my VIP program. Go today, go now to EffortlessEnglishClub.com. EffortlessEnglishClub.com. That's EffortlessEnglishClub.com.